Well, we are everyone, as I said, in the enchanted to have a chat. Enormously positive person, a enormously learned in around wellness and movement. Um, Irene Ice, who's uh, been over to us in the UK. She's delivered seminars for us in our London studios um, and has traveled the world enormously to do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Irene is an expert in yoga, in sort of therapeutic movement and wellness. Um, she runs a whole bunch of stuff that I'll, I'll get Irene to talk a little bit more about, including a, uh, a fascinating, fascinating integrative physiotherapy approach where she brings a lot of holistic ideas to the world of physio and, and movement. So Irene, welcome to Pilates 101. Thank you. It feels um, it feels really delightful to be back talking with you. Uh, I miss being in London and coming to visit and being part of the APPI community. <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. Very kind. Thank you. Um, well, let's Let's talk a little bit more about you. For uh, for those of you on this podcast um, that, that don't know too much about you, why don't you give us your sort of background of you know where you're from, how you got into sort of physio and yoga. I'm not sure which came first. Tell us a little bit more about your journey to to sort of where you you are now. Yeah, um, you know how everything makes sense retrospectively. I think um, yes, where I am now is kind of where I was always headed. Um, but I took a bit of a windy road to get there. Um, it all makes sense retrospectively, though. <laughs> um, I was pretty young when I became a physio. I think I was 22 when I was fully graduated, mm -hmm. became a physio. So I can't say that I knew a lot about the world um, and about myself just, just yet. And I went straight into private practice, pretty much burnt out after a year of like intensive private practice, thinking I could heal the world with two little thumbs yeah. and, um, and um, took a year off, went overseas and, and had a gap year that I needed after uni. And then when I came back, I went back into private practice, but the clinic I was working at started working a lot with, um, with organizations. So occupational health, injury prevention. And I started to carve out a bit of a pathway for myself there, not only seeing the power of preventative initiatives um, but also I was the head of training and development there after you know seven eight years working with the organization and so the beginning of like teaching and, and wanting to share in that way was coming through. Um, midway through my time working in that organization I went to the U.S. for a little bit um, and that's where I did my yoga teacher training. So at that point I was already incorporating Pilates into my physio-led movement. Um, I had been practicing yoga for even longer than I'd been studying physio. I was 17 when I first began, just as a student. And from the moment I did my yoga training, but truly probably even before that, there was just this feeling of like I had a foot in each camp. And at times that would feel like it was pulling me apart. And then other, I'd have moments of insight where I felt like the two were really blending beautifully. But I guess the essence of yoga is therapeutic. The essence of yoga wasn't designed to be taught in a mixed level public class. It was designed to be delivered one-on-one -on -one, teacher to student based on the unique needs mentally, emotionally, physically uh, of the, the student that was stepping towards the practice. And so I think yoga has always been therapeutic, but our public classes don't always reveal that in, in big studios around the world. Uh, and then my physio experience was that people were coming in with 
so many psychosocial barriers, and yet it's like we hadn't quite created the culture that we could really talk about that in a physio space. People were expecting coming, were coming expecting me to put my hands on them and make them feel better. Um, and mm-hmm. so yeah. those two things really kind of graded at me. And I guess one solution was that um, I created the uh, Therapeutic Yoga for Health Professionals course, and that was my intention to share this kind of very holistic view that yoga gifts us with health professionals who what I found out one person at a time was they were also feeling like, oh, this whole individual, we talk about it uh, theoretically, but then do we actually get to to work with the whole person when they walk into our clinics? Uh, And hoping also that if there were more health professionals that were trained to be able to guide people through yoga, there'd be spaces where people could come and access those therapeutic foundations of yoga where they could really come and have a program created for them that was unique to their needs that I felt was missing in the broader yoga world. And so I did that for 10 years or so, and that that took me to London to meet your incredible community. And um, hopefully that's not the end of that and we get to do much more of it now that we're all flying around the world again. Yes, um, yes. Uh, but in the last couple of years since I've come Um, since I've sort of landed and not been traveling as much as I used to do, um, I've really lent into the integrative work. And so I'm now at a clinic in Melbourne where we work at the intersection of mental and physical health. And um, we work through the lens of the nervous system with many people with chronic pain, multiple chronic conditions, people who've lived through traumatic experiences, who are neurodivergent, and many of them with multiple diagnoses stacked up. And so initially we need to teach people how to regulate their nervous system. We need to teach them how to resource themselves about how routine and sleep hygiene impacts pain and and our well-being. And we almost need to, yeah, like empower, educate, resource people before we can take them into the gym and and start to build capacity and confidence through and strength through movement. Um, so that's where I am right now. I'm I'm spending half my time in clinical practice, working in this incredibly integrative way, and half my time one-on-one with people doing yoga therapy and, and mentoring for health professionals and, and yoga teachers and running about one big yoga training a year. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. Um, all right. So I've got a few questions just on, on what, you've said there that I just want to um, delve into a little bit um, and just answer a- as you feel comfortable. You mentioned yep. that um, you were doing yoga yourself even before you were a physio, you were doing it for your own reasons. Um, and one of the things we'll get onto in a little bit, the sort of connection between yoga and movement and the, the differences or, or hopefully sort of alliances between yoga and Pilates. Cause I, you know, I do believe that actually they support rather than separate each other. Like sometimes uh, people can sort of have this this barrier between them, and I don't quite understand that movement is good. <laughs> In my view, movement is medicine. That's the catchphrase of our clinics, and so anything that creates movement is healthy. Um, but you said you got into yoga. What got you into yoga? You're just yourself going to take a yoga class. What got you there? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that my reasons now are vastly different to when I was 17, <laughs> 20 years ago. Um, 
I initially went because it was a fun way to move my body. So I had a very physical kind of doorway into the practice. I was an athlete at school. Um, I was sports captain and did athletics and multiple team sports. And I think yoga was just another way to challenge myself kind of physically and mentally. But year by year, I realized, oh, it's movement and yoga is this really broad system that absolutely has potent ways to move our bodies mindfully and to be more embodied. Um, but yeah, with, with every year, with every class, I realized, oh, there's, there's that and in this system. Yeah. Okay. And then from a, from a yoga point of view, I mean, I just, I assumed you went over and did your yoga training in India or, or somewhere in that sort of sphere of the world, but actually you went to the US and you did your yoga training over there. Tell us about that, how you got into it in that particular location, what your experience is like doing yoga over there. It's interesting because um, that was almost like just, I guess, life pulling me in a direction without much planning on my part. My partner at the time um, was an actor and he had an opportunity to go over to the US. And so I took a bit of a break from work to go across with him and re realized very quickly that in the US, you cannot work as a physiotherapist the way you could if you went no, to a museum. Yeah, of course, yeah. And um, suddenly had this whole um, I guess, crisis, identity crisis around what am I going to do if I if I can't work? And so I went and thought, oh, I'll just go to a local yoga studio and start doing some classes. And from the moment I walked in, the closest people for me in, in, in LA were like actually standing at reception together. And, you know, within a few weeks, I was um, doing some like volunteering at reception at the studio and really entrenched in the community. And then, of course, signed up for the teacher training because um, I kind of, this was my moment. And so I want to believe it was always destined for me to teach yoga, but it was a bit of a, this sliding doors moment that I couldn't yeah. work and I had an opportunity to do the training. Um, so I didn't actually plan it. Um, maybe I would have thought to go to India, but now many years later, <clears throat> when people ask me about recommendations for yoga trainings that aren't my own, if, if they, it doesn't align for us to practice together, Interestingly, I don't have a lot of really great recommendations for India because the the um, feedback that I get from students that go there is that sometimes it's a bit lost in translation, the, the teaching, um, that sometimes the kind of understanding around um, anatomy and, and some of those lack, lectures are a bit lacking in the current spaces that teach yoga in India. And I know that sounds a bit um, incorrect that somehow the mecca of yoga teacher trainings is kind of the West, um, even though this practice originated um, in India. And so maybe there are many studios or, or schools that I don't know of that have a fantastic program, but I have heard time and time again of students going to India to study and feeling like then they have to come back to Australia and, and do another course or to the West and do another course in the UK, in the US, in, in Australia to feel like they're ready to teach in the West. Gosh, interesting, hey? Interesting. Now, that also I found quite interesting. On your website, I was doing a little bit of research before we uh, were speaking, and something that you say on your, your website maybe uh, links to what you've just said there. 
Um, your website talks about that you have a unique skill of bringing the East and West together in the way that you both teach and, and perhaps practice yoga. I'm not sure the right, the exact sort of terminology I should use there, but what, what does that mean? What does it look like bringing though the, the, the East and West together in order to create your approach to yoga? I really appreciate that question because people don't often ask that of me. They just take that on face value. But um, yeah, I guess my yoga school is called, school is called the bridge because um, yes. I feel like, of course, these are Vedic teachings. These are teachings that originate in India. Ideally, yoga really branches from the Vedas where Hinduism, the system of yoga and Ayurveda, the, the like medical system of Ayurveda, um, all branch from in India. And then there's a moment in time when some Westerners come and travel to India to meet Indian masters and, and practice with them. Um, and Indian masters travel to the West to bring India to the West. And there's, you know, there's some hi historical um, account of these masters feeling like, oh, the West will save India, uh, that these are practices that were not necessarily household practices in India. Um, it really gathered a lot of momentum in the West. Um, and so there's something I think that is hard to define in one sentence around honouring where this comes from, truly respecting it, and not wanting to simply appropriate it and, and pick apart the things that feel useful for us and to leave the rest, but to really keep acknowledging where, where this is from. Um, and I guess being a, a bit of a seeker myself um, and a, an endless nerd, uh, I had to go to India and meet teachers there and learn about the different systems there to feel like I had been to the source and we bring people back there every year because I think that's such an important pilgrimage. And yet we've learned so much about the body and movement and pain um, since then. You know, yoga was much more about the mind, was much more about explorations of consciousness, I guess, than it was about the body. Uh, Hatha yoga, the really physical exploration of yoga, is very contemporary compared to the traditional roots of yoga. So, of course, in the West, we had studied the body and the mind and the nervous system extensively. And we understand now that we're moving beyond these paradigms of one posture, one alignment, one exercise for back pain. And we're understanding that people being exposed to movement, as you said before, is medicine and gaining more awareness and more confidence around movement and expanding their window of tolerance and expanding their self-awareness is what um, bolsters our capacity mentally, physically, and, and ultimately in our well-being. And so I think for me being integrative and being a bridge between those two worlds is kind of honouring what we know, like what we know that works best for most people most of the time, and that's having an evidence-based approach. And then we're not quite there in terms of having all the maps for how we can explore consciousness from an evidence-based way. I think we're just leaning into vibrational and energy medicine. But in India, they have vast maps that for now require you to run your own empirical evidence of we can't really hand on heart definitively say, if you do this, it will do that, but it may. And so for people that are curious about 
going beyond mind and body, meaning having deep transcendental experiences, the system of yoga has so much around that. Um, And so I think we can draw from both. And if we do that in a respectful way, uh, we can be empowered in terms of the impact of our practice. We can be really skillful teachers to teach safely and effectively to the widest variety of people um, possible. And we can do that without leaning into dogma because I think where we get really rigid in the evidence-based world, we kind of abandon this idea of sometimes we don't know why things work for some Mm, people. Exactly, Um, yeah. But And yet in the yoga world, I see a lot of dogma. I see a lot of like this breathing technique will do this. Well, I'm not sure that that's always true. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It is interesting, isn't it? It's, you know, finding that, that balance between what seems to have really positive benefits for a person, but maybe we can't get that specific bit of research that tells us why but also understanding that there is an enormous amount of evidence and we have learned an enormous amount in the last, you know, 50, 100, 200 years or so. Um, and so, the, 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 you know, I, I think your, your uh, concept there of the bridge, uh, I think is genius. I've got to be honest, Irene, that's just, you know, I, I've got this visualization of sort of you right in the middle and these two sides coming up to, to meet. Um, and I think that's, that's a really unique, position to be in um, and you know, hearing you speak obviously um, you're extremely knowledgeable about all the various um, sort of elements that comes into one's being um, and one of the things that you've touched on just a, a couple you've just said it a few times and it's intrigued me um, quite a quite a bit here is you've spoken there's two things that you've mentioned so far one was nervous system regulation and how movement can uh, assist that, help that, uh, um, and I, I'm interested to explore that with you as well. And you also, right at the start, when you're talking about um, where you work now and this intersection of physical and mental health, you you said a phrase, sleep hygiene. Mm. What what does that mean? <laughs> what does sleep hygiene mean? I know we all should. I know I need to get more sleep. We should all get more sleep, but. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think we have a mounting amount of evidence around pain and 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 sleep and recovery. Um, I guess even just mental physical um, recovery, uh, based on not just the length of sleep that we have, but the quality of that sleep. Um, and if, when I think about sleep, I think about sleep being something that's quite spontaneous. Um, it doesn't feel that way when we're having trouble sleeping. But really, I think about creating the conditions for sleep to occur, meaning some of the practical things, you lie down in your bed, you turn out the lights, you're in your pajamas, you've got your teddy, whatever, like your kind of routine is that makes you warm and comfortable. And then you relax your body, you close your eyes, and you begin to downregulate in your nervous system and you have to drop into more of a parasympathetic state until eventually we relax to the extent that we fall asleep. We don't do anything extra to fall asleep. We just keep downregulating our brainwaves, keep changing our nervous system, keeps downregulating until we fall asleep. And so I think this like parasympathetic state, this place where we are relaxed and at ease, 
how many of us feel like we're in that place all day, every day, you know, with mounting financial pressures around the world. And, you know, we have so much access to data and information to see about all the things that are kind of challenging around the world. I think we're living in a period where we have more data and information than humans have ever had access to. And that's a huge sensory load for us before you've even gotten out of bed and done anything and used your brain and had a lot of cognitive load at work, you know, also the, all the social load of all the people we meet when we live in the city, even just the sensory load is profound having technology. And so if we don't have tools and resources to downregulate, I feel that many of us are in that sympathetic load, not just those with chronic pain or chronic conditions, but I think a lot of us are overstimulated and some of us have exercise or mindfulness or creative um, pursuits or reading a book or being in nature, something that downregulates us. And I think that's really one of my definitions around a robust nervous system, one that can go between doing and not doing and ultimately have more capacity for more doing and more not doing. Um, but many of us are, are so stimulated that I think we reach this kind of peak place of stress where we're not as effective then in the work that we're doing. We feel more kind of anxious or stressed. Um, and ultimately that makes it hard for us to fall asleep uh, when we're trying to wind down in the evening because we're still quite upregulated. We get into bed. It's the first time we've had a pause and space in the day and everything floods in to be processed. And so I guess for me, sleep hygiene is one the state of your nervous system and do you have tools to downregulate at the end of your day? And two, does your routine as you wind down before bed support you to create the conditions to fall asleep? Or are you on devices till the moment you fall asleep? Are you eating late so that your body has to digest and process all that food? Um, yeah, what are we absorbing mentally and um, and physically and through our nervous systems just before we try and close the eyes and fall asleep. Mm. Okay, interesting. All right, so um, let's link that to yoga. So is it the practices, the uh, techniques or the beliefs within practicing yoga that allows you to get control over that? upregulation and deregulation of the nervous system to allow yourself to have have that sort of robust nervous system that that you say and and how does that how does that work because somebody who you know i am uh no yoga uh expert let, let let's make that very clear um you know i've been to um you know a, a number of yoga classes and it's been very much focused on the the, the physical i guess there hasn't been a lot of information within a yoga class that I've gone to that I could then take away and, and maybe adapt that to how my uh how I regulate my nervous system so is that just one element of yoga that you go to a yoga class and you're just going through these postures and movements and and actually it's that I know a yoga workout not actually yoga uh, I don't know how what from yoga allows me to get that control that you talked about mm. well I think the first thing is like to understand what down regulates our nervous system if it's up. I think what helps us access a parasympathetic state, one is presence. It's like the body and mind 
is not always in the same place. Our body, our breath is always here, but our mind is a time traveler. It can jump into the future and the past, even though our body's here in this moment. So there's something about bringing attention to what is here, to the room, to your body, to your breath, to the feeling of your body on the earth. These are all pathways towards down-regulating your nervous system, specifically with breath lengthening your exhale or slowing the breath down is going to all, all of these actions are going to send a cue to your central nervous system that, hey, we're actually going to be here in this moment. We're going to wind down. We don't have to worry about the next thing. Fundamentally, that's going to create the conditions to downregulate. And yoga has that in spades. Like there's, there's so many opportunities to do that because at its most bare at like at the bare bones of yoga it's just asking you to be present it's just asking you to be here whatever you're doing whether you're doing a lunge whether you're doing a headstand whether you're in meditation the invitation to just is just to be here and actually one of the foundational ideas in yoga is that if we're doing a yoga asana yoga pose we need to find the balance between feeling steady and supported in a way that allows us to be more at ease in the way we embody ourselves or the pose. And so that's kind of parasympathetic state defined, that we feel steady and safe and at ease. Um, and so traditionally yoga not only invited you to try and find that state throughout your practice, but allowed you to use poses that were more grounding and breath work that grounds and constant reminders to be mindful in the way that we move. Um, but I think that our modern practice, you know, it probably got shaped by our modern intentions, which was to get more out of our time there and to try and squeeze not just a spiritual or a mindful experience into that hour, but also a physical one. And I get it. I totally get it. We are short time in the way we live modern life. But I think potentially it has caused us to strip a lot of that kind of foundational um, focus on presence out of the modern practice. And it's quite simple to inject back in if that's kind of a message or an intention that we're wanting to relay. But in truth, some good news for you, Glenn, if you're not, don't consider yourself much of a yogi, we don't need yoga. Because these days then we know there are so many somatic tools, like, again, just paying attention to where we are in the moment, feeling our body in the seat, um, you know, for some of the people I work with, internal resources don't always feel quite safe. If they have high amounts of pain in their body, they might not want to tune in. You can just notice five things in the room. You can notice the temperature in the room. You can listen to a song, which is grounding, or many of my clients listen to audiobooks because they find that relaxing or do something crafty. Um, and they find that they're more grounded and, and calm after a few minutes of mm, crocheting or something like that. Um, or drawing and so or using a stim toy um, and so I think now we're living in this amazing time because maybe something that felt like this secret of yoga I think we're also drawing out with with all our understanding of somatics and being able to share that in a way that could be useful for um, our clients that we could use more of in Pilates as well that we could use more of in the physio clinic and and beyond um, but I guess it's neat for me to know that yoga has kind of been pointing to that for, for many, many moons. Um, and so there's a lot of technology in terms of the breath and the postures and the meditations that um, deliver us to that state. 
but also that upregulate us, knowing that some of us yeah. are very stuck and very kind of depressed physiologically, if not mentally, uh, and we might need a little bit more enlivening in our system. Yeah. Well, I get the impression just talking to you now, the work you do must be very involved, but also enormously rewarding. Um, mm -hmm. If you're, sounds like, you know, certainly in the, the, the practice that you're working at there in Melbourne, that you've probably got some very complicated and, and people in a, a bit pretty difficult stage of their life. And to be able to pull from so many different elements of, of what you've learned over the last however many years, um, it must be enormously challenging at the time, but so rewarding when you get people through that and you see them overcome those obstacles. Mm, yeah, yeah, it, that really is how I feel. I feel, I kind of feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. Like all the things I've been interested in over the years have just brought me to this kind of place, not just where I am physically in the clinic, but just almost like we're ready now to yeah. be integrative in the way we approach healthcare. Um, we're a bit more open-minded, I guess, but also acknowledging that a lot of the people I work with I guess our modern healthcare system has often shut the door in their faces yeah. that they've people come in with chronic fatigue and they're told you just need to go for a walk or, you know, we know that our often health professionals, especially in public health, very short amount of time, they're kind of working with their hands tied behind their backs, but also it's just emerging all this understanding of, um, you know, dysautonomia over time and that people who are maybe neurodivergent living in a very neurotypical structure, uh, people who have experienced traumatic um, experiences in their lives, that perhaps that impacts our nervous system in a way that over time is cumulative that may ultimately lead to something like a chronic fatigue or a fibromyalgia diagnosis. We can't draw exactly a straight line. It's multifactorial, but, or chronic pain. Um, and so I think what's really interesting in the work that I'm doing, is there tons of complexity? Absolutely. Am I a sucker for complexity? Absolutely. So I, I really like working with that complexity. But paradoxically, a lot of what I'm doing with that complexity is coming back to simplicity, coming yeah. back to let's talk about the nervous system and its role in all the systems in our body. Let's talk about rest and load. Let's talk about sleep hygiene. Let's talk about your routine and how we can make a bit more space for you to truly find some time in the day. And it doesn't have to be long. It can sometimes be a few minutes of doing some things that nourish your nervous system, that regulate your nervous system, that truly create time for load uh, rest strategies that unload you in the particular ways that you load your nervous system throughout the day. And it can be profound that people start to yeah. feel a shift. And as soon as they have a little window of, oh, I'm not broken. My nervous system is just chronically dysregulated. I just experience chronic pain, which requires a retraining of my brain and my nervous system to the stimuli that I meet every day. It's like th that little pause and that little bit of hope then allows us to slowly start to build people up. But I do hear on a daily basis stories of the medical trauma of being told, I guess you're just going to live with pain forever and there's nothing to do for you. And 
just told no, no, no. And then they come to us and we say, oh, yeah, I work with lots of people with persistent pain and they do start to feel better. And it's almost like, you know, you have to imagine that it's possible to be able to actually claim that. And if you're told you're just going to live this with this for life, this is a chronic condition that you have for life. I guess a huge part of the easiest part of my job is just listening to someone's story acknowledging how difficult and complex that sounds and and validating their experience and saying I'm glad you're here and oh the therapeutic benefit of of that like that's I don't, you can't yeah. really call that you just call that human empathy I guess and yeah. that's so missing yeah it's interesting isn't it the skill of of, of listening uh does seem to have, have potentially departed some way as life's got busier and faster and everything and there's uh not much better skill in the world than being able to actually truly listen when somebody is talking um Mm. i want to ask you one thing i wasn't planning on asking you this and this is probably a quite a complicated question in a way but um uh recently we've had uh um had reason within within our family to 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 speak to some people from uh a mental health background and and they were working with one of one of our children and they had a concept of trying to separate this this voice from the person so it wasn't our um our child so much that was having this particular issue but it was was this other thing and they're separate things and while we might not understand over here we have to try and actually separate it to the point that that it was it was given a name and we have to try and separate the two things to understand who who was talking you know was it our child or was it this other thing that that was talking and you just touched on on there um that it's not the person that's broken but the nervous system that is having issues is that something that you go into in terms of trying to separate the 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 person from the other aspects that are going on or is it a lot more complicated than that yeah, it's probably once again simpler than that. That I mean, for me, I'm doing less of like a parts theory, integrative kind of approach. I'm just acknowledging that sometimes when you're told so often that you're going to have pain forever, and that that I guess you see your chronic illness as all the things that you can't do, that that starts to shape your self identity. And to kind of just separate that out and to say to people, you know, when I teach people about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic state and fight and flight and that at times when we can't respond with fight or flight in a particular moment, we might go into a freeze response and that that can be really central to um, the way that we respond when we experience some traumatic experiences and that can kind of stay with us and you know, the whilst I'm not working directly with people's trauma, as I'm kind of talking about the way the nervous system responds to different moments in life, you see people's eyes widen and they say, I have that. I get stuck. Or yeah, I feel like I'm always on that hamster wheel and I can't get off, even if I'm just sitting on the couch watching a movie and you say, okay, yeah, that's sounds like there's some dysautonomia, some more chronic long-term dysregulation of your nervous system where that more 
uh, upregulated state almost becomes the norm and we lose our capacity to really downregulate. We stay either hypervigilant or hyperstimulated and that's exhausting. Uh, and that is a very catabolic state that is using constant energy. Um, and the person says, oh, no wonder I'm always tired. And so there's this moment of Whilst that sounds like it simplifies too much, of course, and for a moment the caveat is that that doesn't just simplify chronic fatigue into, oh, you're just dysregulated and that's why you're tired. It's much more complex than that. But I think to come back to the person's self-identity, you teach someone a little bit about neuroscience and they realize, oh, it's not that I'm broken and lazy and lacking capacity it's that I need to regulate my nervous system to reclaim my capacity to have access to my energy. Um, it gives them, I guess, a window into, oh, there's some action that I can reclaim. I can put my hands back on the reins rather than feeling just I'm yeah. this broken person and there's no hope for me. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that would be quite an empowering process to, to go through, I'm sure. Um, well, look, let me bring us back a little bit to the movement side of things. Um, and I'm sure you're asked this a lot. I'm asked this a lot in terms of what's the difference between yoga and Pilates and why would you do one or the other? Um, why don't you explore that question for us? I think they're similar and different in many ways. I think they're similar in terms of is a plank Pilates or is it yoga? Like there are some foundational shapes, right, that we make with our bodies that I think are, uh, exist in both. I think movement across different planes exists in both. I think there's definitely more work with load and resistance in Pilates. There's a lot more equipment that we that we use and therefore we're fundamentally working with springs and elastics and, and weights in a way that isn't traditionally done in yoga. In like my therapeutic yoga approach, we bring all of that in. Um, but that doesn't exist in yoga traditionally because I think yoga traditionally wasn't really about the body. It was about the body as part of a holistic part of body, mind, breath, and then beyond, whatever that means to all of us. So I think yoga has this vast philosophy and these maps and these frameworks for understanding how we move, breathe, think, and feel. So it's quite vast let alone the most spiritual slant of, of yoga that is talks about soul and talks about connection to um, source, nature, the divine, um, whatever we might call it, whatever name we give it. And so I think that yoga offers us a lot of breadth in terms of exploring who we are in the world, let alone the giant questions of who am I and why am I here? Um Actually, traditional yoga, I don't think it's as, oh, I hate to play them against each other. You know, like I, I really like, I feel myself wanting to avoid saying it, but I think traditionally yoga has, yoga is not as robust in being able to strengthen and challenge our body as Pilates is. I feel, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong about this, you're much more studied than I am at Pilates. It was formed and originally as a movement modality that was designed to build people's strength and build people's capacity across different kinds of movements and build their agility. Yoga was kind of about the mind. And so in contemporary practice, it's become about the body. But if you look at a contemporary yoga class, 
that's not comprehensive in terms of creating flexibility and strength. Um, we need load for that. You know, we need progressive load for that. Um, we need to not just push but pull things. Um, and I, so I think yoga in that kind of vinyasa flow modern class falls a bit short in terms of being able to be a perfect rehab modality in a way that Pilates is really great. But I think whilst there's a focus on breath and mindfulness in Pilates, maybe not as much of a system of really studying who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, in in that way, why don't you tell us more about how you developed and created the yoga for allied health professionals program that that you run um and and how that brings in the concepts you spoke about earlier of of you know yoga but also that sort of rehab and physio side that that you bring to it so how did you go about creating that program or was it more an extension of the work you had found you were doing yourself and we're just transitioning into a more formalized uh teacher training program how did it how did it happen I guess it, I, my intention behind it was to fill what I saw were the gaps on both sides. So feeling like often when we as physios are working with people's body, we're, you know, we're not literally doing it, but we're almost ignoring their mind and, you know, their, their social history, less so with each day, I believe. Um, we're doing much more motivational interviewing. We're being much more biopsychosocial because the pain science is pushing us in that direction. Yeah. but and movement science, but um, but I felt that that was a bit of a gap. Um, and then there was also a bit of a gap um, I felt in the yoga world in terms of how therapeutic a regular yoga, a public yoga class was because of, I guess, the lack of understanding of anatomy and um, injury management and, path, you know, pathophysiology of your everyday yoga teacher, but also because we were just moving in these very, like, sagittal coronal horizontal planes yoga is very linear um and uh there isn't a lot of load and isn't a lot of variety and so it's limited in terms of how how it can rehab somebody in all the wonderful ways that someone needs rehabbing when they have a particular injury that always needs something unique i also think that public yoga classes were often run in hot environments they were very fast they were very kind of choreographed non-stop almost cardio experiences that exclude a vast majority of people um, that make people feel like oh yoga isn't for me because I'm not already flexible because I'm not already this fit young um, person that this seems to be crafted for um, so my intention was to over two days completely jam-pack the two days so that it was way too much <laughs> um but to give people a little bit of like the foundational um philosophy of yoga that talks about yoga as a pathway through understanding of how we see ourselves how we breathe how we move um how we develop greater self-awareness we call that the eight limbs of yoga it's from one of the texts called the yoga sutras so i picked that because i thought it was quite a comprehensive map even for people that were absolute beginners to yoga. I think it's a lovely map. And I think it has wonderful implications clinically because, again, it allows us to 
access what we do through the nervous system, through the breath and how to move mindfully and how to be present with ourselves through meditation and what we call at the beginning, the yamas and the niyamas, which are basically these kind of 10 commandments of yoga or these, these principles of moderation and um, capacity to do no harm. So to think about how deep we go into things and how hard we go into things, principles like that, that were so useful for clinical practice. And so we did a little bit of that. That's really the only kind of philosophy. Of course, it just pours out of me throughout the day. But then we looked at some foundational postures and we said, let's break the rules. If you needed to make this pose, if you needed to take this pose as inspiration, so let's talk about the benefits of this pose physically, mentally, in our nervous system. And then let's talk about how we would make it harder and easier and how we would modify it and how we would do it if we needed to use a chair or a wall so that hopefully as we go through some really foundational postures in yoga that we can start to see that, oh, in order for this to be therapeutic, it has to be adaptable. It has to be modifiable. There's no such thing as this is an advanced pose and this is a not advanced pose. All our bodies need something different. Um, And so obviously everyone that's coming to the course has a vast experience of moving bodies and, and an awareness of how bodies and nervous systems work. And so we can get really deep um, right from the beginning. And so we do a lot of looking at the postures. We look at breath work. We look at mindfulness because there's so much evidence in mindfulness at level two. I talk about a few different kinds of meditations and a few different kinds of breath work practices. But initially we just talk about the polarity of the breath and easeful three-dimensional breath and mindfulness. And I truly believe that even if we took current yoga teachers from the community and exposed them to these conversations, they could realize, oh, yeah, I could be more therapeutic just by making these tiny little variations. And that health professionals not only would be able to potentially use yoga in their rehab if they felt it was useful, but more than that, so they can start to feel it in their own bodies. Because I truly believe that until you know it in your body, whether you're a health professional or a yoga teacher, how do you teach it to others? Like, what are we conveying? if we don't know what it feels like in our bodies. And so in part, it's to teach about the potentials of yoga and the potentials of yoga in rehab and in therapy, if we break it apart and kind of use it the way we need it. In part, it's to break down the stigmas and the dogmas around what yoga is and isn't, because there's plenty of that. Um, and then the the final part is to give people an experience of yoga, like the state of yoga, that place where you're present, grounded, at ease, and to feel how potent that can be so that that might pass the so what test, so to speak, yeah. for people to be able to share that with their clients. Yeah. Well, well, I, you know, I can say from our point of view, it's been one of our most popular courses. Um, everyone is desperate for you to be back on uh, this side of the world again. Um, and yeah, no, you, you you need to come back. You've got a big following over over here. Um, you're thought of enormously uh, highly over here. So uh, we we do need to get you back whenever that's possible. Um, but look, I'm I'm just so thankful to spend this time with you. Even just speaking with you, you make somebody more aware of themselves. Um, you're already calm, and just with your voice, you're just kind of like am I. Gosh, you seem like the sort of person that never, ever 
goes in other directions. You're just always so present and focused. It's uh, it's it's quite impressive. Quite impressive. Um, uh, look, uh, 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 <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'm sure that people would love to um, hear more of you and about you and what you're doing. I noticed on your website again that you have a few podcasts yourself that you're mm-hmm. either working on or are doing. Do you want to share that with our audience so they can e- experience that as well? Um, I have a podcast that I've been running for a few years called Wavelength, and it works th- on the premise that it really talks about connection in all its forms. Um, And so that's a a podcast I've been doing with my friend Ziggy for a few years. And I've just started compiling a podcast called The Bridge, which is going to be exactly what we've spoken about today, this this bridge between yoga and and all of the, um, the, I guess, tools and the technology within that tradition and evidence-based practice um, and taking more of this integrative approach, I haven't launched it because in trying to practice what I preach, I realized I'd taken on too many new projects at the same time and decided (laughs) better to pause another six months and then release that when I have space and energy to put towards it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So right now they, um, people could um, search for Wavelength. Is that right? That's the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of your website or social media do do much of that sort of thing where can people find you or follow you yeah I do so it's my full name Irene underscore ace um and the yoga school that I run where I run 200 and 300 hour trainings and smaller immersions um that's under you are the bridge um you are the underscore bridge, but they're linked within both my Instagram. So one can lead you to the other. Um, and my website is just my full name.com, ireneace.com. Yeah. And ACE is AIS. Mm-hmm. AIS, yep. yeah. AIS, yeah. Just to, to make sure everyone finds you. Well, look, um, in, an, an honor to spend this time with you. Thank you very much for giving us time, especially in the evening there in Melbourne. Um, so uh, thank you very, very much. And we look forward to seeing you back over here when we can. And can't wait till we get to hug in person whenever that is. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that seems like another world, doesn't it? That concept. That would be lovely. Lovely. Well, look, once again, thank you very much for your time. You have a lovely evening and uh, stay well. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>